0: Knock, knock. How many of you remember the childhood phase of knock-knock jokes? Whether you, your child, or maybe even now your grandchild, but you remember the knock-knock phase of childhood. Would you just raise your hand? There is the infamous... Knock, knock, who's there, boo, boo boo-hoo, why are you crying? You remember that one? Or the incredibly irritating, annoying, knock, knock, who's there, banana, knock, knock, who's there, banana, knock, knock, who's there, banana, and you're thinking about child abuse at that point, Mm mm-hmm. Knock, knock, who's there? Orange, orange who? Aren't you glad I didn't say banana again? Remember? Yep. I thought so. Knock, knock, who's there? Hatch, hatch who? God bless you. Knock, knock, who's there? Tank, tank who? You're welcome. Right? Right? But there are occasions when knock-knock questions can be incredibly profound. Try this one with me. Knock-knock. You? Simple question. Not so simple answer. You who? Who are you? Many people spend an entire lifetime Seeking an answer to that one single solitary question. Some tragically define themselves by how others define them. We base what we think about ourselves on what others think about us. It may have been a classmate in the third grade, who made a crude comment about us. But we have spent a life defining ourselves by that one comment. It it may have been a dating partner during our young adult years. Or an insensitive, thoughtless remark made by a relative But we have spent an entire life viewing ourselves the way those individuals have viewed us. It has been said at the age of 20, we worry about what people think of us. At the age of 40, we don't care what people think about us. And at the age of 60, we realize Nobody's even thinking about us. When we allow ourselves to view ourselves the way those individuals view us, and those individuals have said something unkind or cruel or crude, and we've taken that definition of how they define us, and we've used that to shape our own personal sense of identity... Our validity, value, and worth is devastated. Or we try to base our worth on our work. We measure our value by our vocation. But who you are is not defined by what you do. Who is Michael Jordan? ESPN has recently shown a 10-part docu-series focusing on the incredible, extraordinary basketball career of Michael Jordan. So who is Michael Jordan? Many would readily reply, a basketball player. Here is the problem. Michael Jordan no longer plays basketball, but is he still Michael Jordan? Basketball is what Michael Jordan did, but basketball is not who Michael Jordan is. Michael Jordan played basketball and he played it very well but he no longer plays basketball, but he is still Michael Jordan. If who I am is measured by what I do, when I no longer do what I did, my identity is lost. And yet many of us fall into the trap of measuring our worth by our work. We identify who we are by what we do. And if we cannot achieve a certain standard of status, success, accomplishment, or accolade, it cripples our personal sense of security. So who are you? This morning, I want us to take a biblical journey in search of significance we're going to stand toe to toe with that great question, who am I? Not only are we going to face that question, we're gonna answer that question clearly and definitively. Let me go ahead and give you the premise of this message at the outset. You will never be completely comfortable with who you are until you fully comprehend Whose you are. Did you hear it? You will never be completely comfortable with who you are until you fully comprehend whose you are. The secret to a healthy self-image is seeing ourselves as God sees us. What men think about you is one thing, but what God thinks about you is everything. And you are a person of incredible worth and value in the eyes of a holy God. I encourage you to open your Bibles this morning to the first chapter of Ephesians. You will need your Bible, I assure you. Make sure you have it in front of you, because we're going to track through this passage together. The New Testament letter of Ephesians, chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians Philippians, Ephesians chapter 1, as we seek to discover our identity in Christ. I have been in the process of writing a book. Who knows if I will (laughs) ever finish it. But I have been in the process of writing a book entitled, Shedding the Grasshopper Complex. I get that title from a statement made by the 10 disobedient spies sent out by Moses to survey the promised land. Pastor Jeff preached an incredible message from that passage in the Old Testament book of Numbers several weeks ago. Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land to survey the land. Joshua and Caleb came back with an incredibly positive report about a land ripe for conquest. But listen to the statement made by those 10 disobedient spies in Numbers. The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are of great size. There also, we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. That one verse is an incredible commentary on the damning, debilitating effects of a poor self image. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Question. How did the spies know how the inhabitants of the land viewed them? Consider that question. How did the spies know how the inhabitants of the land viewed them? Because if the inhabitants of the land had spotted the spies, the spies would not have lived to take back a report, right? So how did those spies know how the inhabitants of the land viewed them? They were simply transferring their image of themselves onto the inhabitants of the land. Even though they had been set free by the power of God to be the people of God, they still viewed themselves as slaves in the eyes of men. And that image led to 40 years of wilderness wandering. It is my deep, deep conviction that many men and women of faith face this same issue. Even though we have been set free from the chains of sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we still see ourselves as slaves. God has set us free through Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood on Calvary's cross. We talk about being saved, being set free, but mentally, psychologically, spiritually, we still see ourselves in bondage. One of the most common phrases heard in the church leads to this poor self-image. And I do not want to offend anyone in the room who has said this, but I want you to think about the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is Eor Christianity. Focusing so much on what we were before Christ We cannot truly embrace who we have become in Christ. So, how can we overcome this grasshopper complex and become comfortable with who we are? By seeing ourselves as God sees us. And in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the great apostle shows us who we are. In the eyes of a holy God. Ephesians chapter 1, we start looking at the passage in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the, what's the next word? Saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, what's the next word? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless without him, before him. In love, he predestined us to Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Who are you? What others think about you is one thing. But what God thinks about you is absolutely everything. And the Apostle Paul tells us who we are in the eyes of God. Who are you? You are you, (laughs) but you who? There is a truth that I want you to root in your heart, mind this morning. It is an unwavering, unalterable truth that cannot be changed by time, eternity, situation, or circumstance. Here it is, you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. Just repeat after me if you will, I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. That, my friend, is who you are. You are not who the world says you are. You are not who you think you are, although some of us are limited by who we think we are. You are who God says you are. God is truth. He is incapable of error and falsehood so who God says you are is my friend who you are and if you have repented of your sin placed your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary's cross if you have made him master Savior and Lord of your life if you are saved heaven, bound <laughs> rather fight than switch the Bible says you my friend are a saint Wow look at verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. You are a saint. The Greek word for saint is hagios, and it literally means someone or something set apart by God for a special purpose. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. You have been chosen and set apart by a holy, righteous God for a special purpose. When you stop to think about it, there are only two classes of people in this world. There are saints and there are aints. Whether you sit in the worship center this morning or you are joining us out in the parking lot, and we are so glad to have you. Are you kind folks sitting at home who have been wonderful at engaging us through Facebook Live. Every one of us falls into one of those two categories. Either we are saints or we are ain'ts. Now the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, through the shed blood of Jesus, every ain't can become a saint. Amen. But if you've repented of your sin, placed your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on Calvary's cross, the Bible says you are a saint. You have been saved and set apart by a holy, righteous God for a special purpose. There may not be a statue of you in the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) They may never name a holiday after you. But if you have repented of your sin, placed your faith in Jesus and what He did for you on Calvary's cross, you are a saint. You have been saved and set apart by God for a special purpose. You say, but Wayne, I don't feel like a saint. Many of us do not feel like saints because we honestly do not see ourselves as saints. We wake up feeling like six pounds of sin on a popsicle stick. (laughs) Been there? And our feeling becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We are still so hung up on who we were before Christ, we cannot honestly embrace who we now are in Christ. We are so bound by what we used to be, we can't view ourselves as we really are. Sons and daughters of God by faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. I grew up in the Tidewater area of Virginia. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. And one of the local facilities for hosting major events was the Hampton Coliseum. I spent many a childhood evening in the Hampton Coliseum watching the Virginia Squires. You probably have no idea who in the world they are or what I'm talking about because you're not that old. The Virginia Squires were a professional basketball team in the now defunct American Basketball Association. And my parents were so wonderful to us as kids when the Virginia Squires were in town They took us, loved basketball, still remember standing beside the court next to Julius Irving. His feet were longer than I was tall. I watched many a hockey match, many a concert in the Hampton Coliseum with my friends growing up, and every year, the Ringling Brother and Barnum Bailey Circus would come to town. Now the Hampton Coliseum was unique in the way it was designed. There was a moat built around the Coliseum. Since Hampton Roads is part of a peninsula, they wanted the facility to mimic the geography of the community. And so it was designed as if there was a peninsula. And out in the center of that little moat, they had built an island. And we always knew when the circus was in town, driving down Interstate 64, you would look beside the interstate and you would see these massive elements, elephants standing on that little island in the middle of that moat. Most of them chained to an itty bitty stake. Realistically, those elephants could have easily uprooted those stakes and wreaked havoc in downtown Hampton. But it never happened. And here's why. When an elephant is born in the circus, that elephant is then chained to a massive metal stake. We are talking six, seven feet driven deep, deep into the ground. Now it is the nature of an elephant to be free. Right, And that little elephant would try, with all of its might, to move that massive post with no success. The older the elephant got, the smaller the stake became. Until ultimately a massive, full-grown elephant could be held in place by a little bitty stake. It was not the stake that held the elephant. It was the mindset or the mentality of the elephant that kept it in place. It had tried since childhood to set itself free with no success. And now, in the mind of the elephant, it was enslaved and it, there was nothing it could do to free itself. And I submit to you that there are many men and women of faith who find themselves in the same situation. We have been set free from sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But we still find ourselves chained to a cruel, unkind comment made by someone at some point in our past. Isn't it time this morning that you break that chain and set yourself free? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You are not the you used to be. You are a brand new you, a new creation, a new and different you, set apart for a high and holy purpose. I do not care where you have been. I do not care what you have done. If you have repented of your sin, placed your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary's cross, you, my friend, are a saint. You say, but Wayne, I still sin. I still mess up. Well, being a saint does not make us sinless, but it does make us blameless. Look at verse four. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Just as he chose us, him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are saints of God, through Jesus Christ. When God views us, God views us through the lens of the Lord Jesus. That means that even though we do not always act perfect, God sees us as perfect. We stand clean before God because of our uh, goodness based on God's grace and God's grace alone. That is why our sainthood can never ever be cause for spiritual pride or arrogance. We are not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. The apostle Paul makes this abundantly, unalterably, unwaverably clear in the passage before us. Look back at Ephesians chapter one and just kinda track this with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful, verse one, in Christ Jesus. Do you hear it? Amen, oh my, oh no, you hear it. In Christ Jesus. Verse three, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, just as he chose us in him, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us to adoption verse 5 as sons through Jesus Christ verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace verse 9 in him verse 10 in Christ verse 10 in him verse 11 according to his purpose and the counsel of his will, verse 12, in Christ, verse 13, in him. Verse 13 again, in him. You pick up the theme? We are who we are by God's grace and God's grace alone. Our sainthood is totally and completely based upon Jesus Christ and what he did for us on Calvary's cross. But not only are you a saint in God's kingdom. You know those commercials, but there's more. Wait, there's more. Not only are you a saint in his kingdom, you are a son in his family. Wow, look at verse five. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Rejoice in your sonship because of Christ Jesus. You are a saint in his kingdom, but even better, you are a son in his family. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. That is, he predetermined in advance that we would be adopted into the family. Predestination has confused many and confounded others. It has been the source of tremendous celebration and the subject of tremendous scrutiny. One seminary professor said, try to explain predestination, and you may lose your mind. (laughs) But try to explain it away And you may lose your soul. The point of predestination is that salvation begins with God, not with us. He has already chosen you. Before you were a sparkle in your mother's eye or a bouncing bundle of energy on your daddy's knee, God saw you as so valuable, he made provision for you to become part of his household. How? What is the source of our sonship? Look back at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through who? Jesus Christ. That is how you and I become part of God's forever family. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. And Paul reminds us in verse 7. In him, who is him? Jesus In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God saw you as so valuable. He sent his own son to shed his own blood in order to pay the price to buy you into the family. And the apostle John writes, but as many as received him, To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is the source of our sonship. And because who we are is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, there is security in that sonship. Look back at that phrase in verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. If you are willing to write in your Bibles, circle that word adoption. He predestined us to adoption. In the Greco-Roman world to whom Paul was writing, once you were adopted into a family... You were in that family to stay. Adoption in the Greco-Roman world was irrevocable. Now you could disown a birth child, and some of us have been tempted, amen? But you could not disown or disinherit an adopted child. Once you were adopted into a family, you were in the family to stay. So there is tremendous security in our sonship. I want to try to illustrate this in a rather unique way, and I am going to need your help. Actually, the people in the parking lot are the ones who need your help. I am going to hold up a card or an envelope And I need you with conviction and confidence to say what you see on the envelope loud enough for the people in the parking lot who are listening on the radio to know what the envelope or the card says. Can I get your help? Okay. Thank you. You guys are so young, you didn't need me to come down and show it to you close, but there may be some in the back that I have to walk back and show them closer. Jesus. It's an envelope that says Wayne. An envelope that says Jesus. An envelope that says God. All right. Hopefully they heard you. And this will make some semblance of sense to them. The Bible says, when I repent of my sin and I place my faith in Jesus, Jesus comes to live within me, right? But it does not stop there. In John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus told his disciples, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So not only is Christ in me, I am in Christ. So far, so good? But Jesus went on to say, not only am I in you, and you in me, but he said in John fourteen twenty, I am am in the father. And then right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, uh, verse 13, Paul reminds us in him you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation having also believed, you were sealed in the holy spirit of promise. That is my security in Christ. How can the devil get to Wayne Dishman? First, he would have to break the unbreakable seal of the Holy Spirit, then he would have to conquer unconquerable God Almighty. Would he have me? No. Because I am still in Jesus. But let's say, as ridiculous as this is, for the sake of argument, that the devil was able to break through the seal of God the Holy Spirit, break through the unconquerable God the Father, And even overcome Jesus, God the Son. Would he have me then? Not on your life. Because when you open up me, who do you find inside? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Perhaps some of you sit here this morning and you have bought into the demonic that you are somehow a disinherited child. Because you have been ravaged by the winds and devastated by the storms, disinherited child. Or even worse, you're not a child of his at all. Friend, don't let the devil rob you of your identity in Christ. You are who God says you are. And God says you are a person of incredible worth and value in His eyes. So much so that He sent His own Son to die for you on Calvary's cross to adopt you into the family. You are a saint. You are a son of God. You are a child of the King. Now start demonstrating the family inheritance. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, thank you so much for your attentiveness this morning. I am very passionate about the topic we have discussed this morning. I am convinced that one of the reasons that we are not obtaining victory in life is because we are still chained to our past if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, my friend, you've been set free from that past. You are a new you, a new and different you, a new creation in Christ. This morning, would you break that chain of mental bondage and set yourself free? Perhaps there are are a few in the room this morning in the parking lot or some of you watching us Facebook Live and you say, well, Wayne, I'm not a saint. I'm an ain't. I remind you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that through Jesus and what he did for you, every ain't can become a saint. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life life and perhaps there are some of you here this morning you've been chained to that comment you've been stuck in bondage for so long because of what someone or somebody else has said about you this morning set yourself free in the private place of your own heart right now say God I realize that I am not who they said I was I am who you say I am And so this morning, I'm breaking that chain and I'm setting myself free. Or you would say, I did not realize that God loved me so much that I was so valuable to him that he wanted me to be part of his family. The Bible says if you will repent of your sin, that is a big churchy word to say, I am turning away from my rebellion against God. And if you will embrace what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary's cross when he shed his blood to pay the penalty for your rebellion against God. And you would ask Jesus to come live in your heart and become the master of your life. This morning, you can go from ain't to saint. I want to simply ask you right now in this this quiet moment that you do business with God and do what you know you need to do. And then Pastor Jeff is going to close us. But right now, whether you're in the parking lot, here in the worship center, those of you watching us Facebook Live, take a moment just to do business with God and do what you know you need to do.